in my opinion, there's nothing better than comfortability. And when I walk into a room, I don't want it too hot. I don't want it too cold. And we have just the sponsor to bring to you to make that happen. His name is Nat Anderson, and Nat Anderson has been doing heating air for several years. He's done it in several towns, but right now he's based in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So if you're in northeast Arkansas, you need to contact Nat Anderson at 870-935-1155. And as always, let Nat know that the Crucial Conversation sent you, and you will not be disappointed. Has the conversation ever let you down? The answer is no, and we don't start today. When you're in Jonesboro, Arkansas and you're hungry, the best place to go and find a quality meal is at Lazari Italian Oven. They're located at 2230 South Caraway Road in Jonesboro, Arkansas. They do pickup orders to go and dine in. You can call Lazari Italian Oven at 1-870-931-4700. Tony, what would you suggest to get there? Anything. It's all great. Make sure you go by there and tell them that the Crucial Conversation sent you. You won't be disappointed when you go to Lazari Italian Oven. But I'm not going to lie. I do like that number 224. Go find out what that is for yourself. Go check out Lazari Italian Oven. Finding strength in struggle and purpose in pain is what the book No Mess, No Message is about by Dr. April Jones. Dr. April Jones in this book will encourage you and strengthen you through all of your hurts, all of your struggles, and it's going to give you hope for tomorrow. Dr. April Jones also has a website where you can download her book and a lot of the products that she sells at thedriftedrum.com. Tony, tell me a little more. Put in promo code CRUCIAL and you can get 10% off your entire order. Not only do you get the 10% off, but she's even going to throw in a free companion journal. Anything that you see on that website that you like, make sure you put in promo code CRUCIAL and get 10% off your entire order. What a great friend to have a part of the Crucial Conversation. Hey guys, this is Brian and I'm Tony and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Here in Nashville for the Crucial Conversation today here at, uh, what is this suburb that we're in right now? Would you just call it Nashville or? Yeah, northeast Nashville, 10 minutes from downtown, 10 minutes from Opryland. Oh, yeah. We're here with Pastor DJ Shoulders, and uh, we've been already having a great conversation and decided to, we'll go ahead and key you guys into it. Um, Pastor Shoulders, how long have you been pastoring here at this church? And first of all, this is a beautiful campus. Oh, man, I love thank it. you, and thank you guys for coming in for the honor. I have been here pastoring for 17 years full time since 2003. But you're you're deeply rooted in Nashville because your father pastored here, correct? Correct. This is uh, my fifth, coming up will be my fiftieth birthday, and I've been here all my life. Dad pastored forty five years, and uh, I assisted him before I pastored. Before that was evangelist, but yeah, I've been here all my life. So, Brian, let's tell our listeners kind of how we got introduced to uh, Pastor DJ Shoulders. So, we got this email one day. Uh, on our Crucial Conversation Gmail, and it explained to us that he appreciated what we were doing and that he was thankful for a podcast that he could listen to that that kind of told um, stories of different people. And little did we know, we'd be sitting here interviewing him because he's got two books because he's got a ridiculous story. And I say that very, very 
uh, kindly because you've written a book called Ridiculous, and we want to get into all of that because talking before we were on record, we share something in common um, about why I do the podcast and about why you wrote a book. Um, take us back to the very beginning before you wrote the book, kind of the stuff that you, you went into with depression and how what triggered it, what in the world happened, man, because you, you just told us you're rooted in this faith and in this truth. There's a myth out there that everything's supposed to be okay. Yeah, actually, the um, I was having some weird, uh, like, different fears and anxieties that had hit me out of the blue, and then in April of 2018, I woke up. I'll never forget. It was midnight. Um, I was not a book writer at the time, and I felt from the Lord to... I mean, I just woke up out of a dead sleep to write a book and call it ridiculous, talk about some ridiculous things people are facing, and then transfer it over to uh, God's ridiculous grace and mercy and love to bring them through. And I went back to sleep, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll write that book. Ten hours later, and uh, you can't make this stuff up, ten hours later I get a text from a, a preacher. I think he's like 630 miles away from where I live. I hadn't heard from him in a while. He said, the Lord showed me you're going to write a book. And uh, I thought, well, that's cool. And then the rest of it was kind of wild when he said, but you're going to be required to live the pages of it. He said, most number one songs are written out of hard times. God's going to take you through some stuff. It will become blueprints for people to make it through. And then he described certain people in the Bible. And I thought, okay, all right. But then I had no clue that from those moments on in April 2018 that I would begin to slowly write the book but I was slowly living it and uh, for instance chapter one of the book says where did that come from which is a fitting chapter because I was going along married two kids marriage great church great there was nothing that I can point to that says oh yeah this is it like some people can and it just hit me out of the blue and um, a fiery trial became my my lot for a long time and um, actually, it did come true. It became printed blueprints to help many. And uh, since that time, I can't describe to you how many people have come forth, bought the book. I gave books away that I had no idea how many people were living in anxiety, fear, and depression that were wearing a mask because they were afraid of people's going to judge me for not having enough faith and something's wrong with you when nothing could be further from the truth. So uh, that's where that started, and I've since wrote ridiculous and then victory at the midnight hour and uh, what that man prophesied actually has all come to pass but i did have to live through it and uh, i still pushed through some days but i'm, I'm on the other side now and, and god's grace has helped me and i'm preaching this everywhere i go when you're dealing with things like that how is it unique to being a pastor um what does your pastoral ministry look like? Are like here's here's the only way I can really think to express it is being like when you preach a message of faith, is there that voice in the back of their head while you're preaching it saying, "There's not even a God"? Or uh, what's that been like to you? How is it that as a pastor you can minister through through the darkness, minister to people that are dealing with the exact things that you're dealing with? Yeah. So I called a pastor friend of mine. All of this was new to me. And uh, it, it was like being put in a washing machine, spinning around. You're like, what in the world's happening to me? I'm a man of faith. I preach faith. Why me? And then I got to looking in the Bible where Elijah, I tell people this now, 
You start seeing Bible characters different. I, I tell people that Elijah had the greatest Sunday service of anybody in history. I said, if he's on Facebook, man, he could tell them Sunday morning we called fire down from heaven, went out to eat and come back, same chapter, and called, uh, prayed for rain, and God sent rain. And, and, and I build that up. But one chapter later, he's in a cave asking the Lord to take his life. And uh, when I start preaching those things, Jeremiah said, I called on the Lord out of the lowest dungeon. This is a prophet that we preach about. David and my, you know, we love to preach on David killing Goliath and the bear and the lion. I do too. But David also said, in my distress, I called on the Lord. How long, Lord, should I go through this? I've wet my bed with tears. This is going on. And I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord. And then I get to Jesus where Jesus even said, my God, you have forsaken me. Why? And if it's possible, let this pass from me. So I thought, well, I'm not unique in this. Uh, Job and others went through some terrible things and saw God's grace. So I asked a pastor, should I preach on this? He said, yes, just bring people through with it. And the moment I begin to preach it, our altars begin to flood in our own church and at other places I would go, sometimes staggering amounts of people while I'm preaching, running to the altar. And it's like, I think they looked and said, if a pastor or a preacher uh, can open up about that, because I have been around pastors that have told me they're depressed, but they can't tell nobody, they don't want to tell nobody. I became real and open and honest. I was kind of like, I felt like if Jesus can walk in a room and show his own disciples his scars and say, but I got up from it, then why couldn't I tell people that depression is real and that you're not having a lack of faith, you're not crazy. It's crazy in it, but you're not crazy. And when you start preaching it, I think people would rather see a pastor preacher that's real than right. Mm -hmm. If you have to be right all the time for image, we have a, I had a pastor look at me and said, you're too worried about your image. And uh, I let go of my image and I'm, I'm not one of these social media dudes that worries about my image. I want to get relationship and tell people if God brought them to it, he can bring them through it. So that's the way I feel about it. So one of my favorite books is Preaching a Th Through a Storm by H. Beecher Hicks. And he goes in and talks about um, how joy comes in the morning, but how long is the night? That I, I've heard that uh, a few different times. And I want to know from you, during your darkest night, during your deepest trial, what what could you possibly hold on to? Um, in my deepest, darkest trial, um, I was holding on to the word. I was holding on to prayer. I was holding on. You know, here, here's the deal. Pain, I, I tell people this, pain is not pain till you feel it. And we judge often what we don't understand. And uh, I was one of them years ago, and I have admitted this. I've apologized to this. You know, sometimes I used to think, oh, man, they're not depressed. Just take three hallelujahs and call me in the morning and then when you walk through it. You start leaning on scriptures that you used to just quote. You took your yellow Sharpie and highlighted scriptures and it's easy to get up and scream those scriptures, which is great. But then you start personally leaning on the things that you've told everybody else to be true. I can do all things through Christ. You know, all that greater is he. Um, if God be for me, the, the, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is what you feel like when you're going through depression is how am I going to get out of this? And I have, it's, it's kind of like that quote from Abraham Lincoln, you know, when I was pushed towards God, I finally found that I had no other place to go but to him. You really realize cliches, fancy deals, 
just religious church is not the answer. You you have to really lean on Christ and not to your own understanding. And you have to trust. This is in my second book. David said, as I mentioned, I would have fainted. I would have lost heart unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Not see to believe. The world says seeing is believing. We've got to reverse that. David said, I believe to see it. I call things to be not as though they were. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And even when I was depressed, joy is going to come in the morning. I'm going to get through this. God's going to help me. And in the midst of that suffering, I'll say this, no reservations, you know. And this is in my second book. I write a chapter on if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Those are not catchy phrases. Those are not church phrases. Those are real and when you walk through them, you realize they are incredibly real. If God's grace hadn't been there, I wouldn't have made it. Absolutely. And so whenever you, so there was not ever a definite moment that you were like, this is when uh, depression hit me. Uh, or And and if, so, well, can you answer that please? So you said that it, you just, it came out of nowhere. Can you nail down like a day where you're like, you realize that you were depressed or... Um, there was a circumstance that kind of got you down or you just all of a sudden you woke up and just felt different? Uh, I, I started feeling different, uh, whatever, in my emotions and in my mind and in my spirit. It was, a, you know, everybody is, um, uh, I, I talked to a, uh, I don't mind saying this, I talked to a Holy Ghost field, spirit-filled counselor. Uh, she's well-known, uh, Dr. Beth Bouse is her name. So I, I talked to her. She talks to a lot of pastors, preachers. And uh, so I, I spoke with her, and she said, you know, and this really helped me. She said, whether chemically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically, Satan don't care. He jumps on any bandwagon he can get on. It's not a one-size-fits-all deal. And I just started feeling, uh, I'll be honest with you, I was having tremendous attacks on my mind, and it's fighting, and which I describe in the book. When you go into detail and learn something, you really realize that fiery darts of the wicked are genuine and they're real. And uh, it was an assault on the mind, which then sought to pull down my emotions, which then, you know, the Bible says anxiety, translation, anxiety in the heart of a man brings depression. You know, it starts out with certain fears and da-da-da, and then if it's not pulled down, you know, I had the Lord speak to me in the middle of this and, and to teach people and said, what you don't pull down and the imagination will eventually pull you down. And what you don't take captive will eventually take you captive. And I found that to be true. A lot of it was coming through my head with uh, mind games, mental warfare. And, uh, but it went through the emotions and then led to anxiety, which equaled um, into deep, dark depression. So men are much different than women on how they deal with emotions. Um, that's, that's a given. Anybody that's been married for longer than five minutes knows that. Um, <clears throat> How does an apostolic man deal with this? Because like you just said, you've talked to other apostolic pastors and ministers that don't want to talk about or tell anybody, but how can you overcome something you're not willing to talk about? Yeah, and sometimes, um, first of all, in my personal opinion, it's the devil. When you feel less than, um, you know, it's, it's weird that we easily come up and say, can y'all put the oil on me? I've got high blood pressure, diabetes, heart trouble. But we don't think the mind. And when the Bible said Jesus is um, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
Trust me, I went through a series of studying about everywhere in the Bible it feels like. Infirmities is physical or mental weakness. And one thing I found in the scripture was this. So we know tons of the accolades of David, 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 David. But there's a little scripture in Samuel where David said, And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And the sons of, I think it was Zariah, are too hard for me today. Not many people preach that. So we're talking about the giant care of the lion, care of the bear, the king, sweet psalmist of Israel said, today I'm weak, though anointed king. And there's a group of people out there today that's too hard for me. And I turn that around and say, just because he was weak doesn't mean he wasn't anointed. He was still anointed. And though the people in front of him that day was too hard for him, that was the point. They were not too hard for God. So men need to look at that and say, when you look at these Bible characters that came out, Elijah, like I mentioned, David, Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul went through things and realized that what they came through is they began to lean on God's grace above protecting an image or feeling less than. It's very wild and to me upsetting to see how many people are so scared to admit they need help because they're afraid of being judged. And I feel like that taboo subject is not only being released out out of the church greater, I think it's going to be greater to come uh, because this is the world that we're living in. That's not, I don't look at somebody with high blood pressure and say, you don't have no faith. I, you know, I'm a diabetic myself, and I, I promise you I have a lot of faith. I pray for people in revivals to be healed from diabetes. And some of the greatest men of God went through some pretty hellish times physically and mentally. It's just now it's coming to the forefront to say, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm, I may be weak in my flesh, but I'm not weak in God. And though I'm weak, he's strong. And so, um, and the deal is this, I, I don't mind telling you guys that. When I started coming out about this, I felt like it broke down a barrier for people. Um, I did some, po- uh, some Facebook stuff during the COVID. I was stunned how many people started reaching out to me. Great people that were in the fight of their lives that I never knew. But by me being open to the social media world, there's like, I can talk to him about it because he understands. And most of the time, people will talk to you when you walk through something. <laughs> yeah, so we learned on the Peter Sandin podcast, um, if you haven't listened to that episode, we strongly recommend you go listen to it because it talks about addiction and battling and overcoming. But he he brought this saying up to me that I wish I could tell the world a million times over, nothing's ever going to change until you're ready to truly change. You can tell me, yeah, I'm ready to come out of it, but until you're determined or whether you're excited about coming out of it, there's there's no hope, no chance. And when we were off the record, I know you'll, you'll tell this story because you told it in front of your church. Well, hopefully you'll tell this story. But um, I want you to tell the story that you told us about your limousine driver in your church, about how you got to be careful about what you pour into your life. Yeah, so we have a man in our church that drives for a company and picks up a lot of clients, and and this was before COVID. And a woman was telling him about her physical troubles and her high blood pressure, and she went to the doctor. And The doctor out of the blue said, how much news do you watch? She said, I watch a whole lot. And he said, before prescribing high blood pressure medicine, which is nothing wrong with that, he told her to turn off the news for a while. She did, and miraculously her blood pressure began to drop, and she was 
when he told me that, I said, can I use that? And he said, absolutely. And it was what she was allowing into her mind, spirit, was affecting her emotionally, physically, mentally. And when she cut back on negative, 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 start thinking on things like Paul said that are true, honest, and just, and lovely, her blood pressure went down without the aid of medication before uh, before she went on medicine she tried that and it started dropping so it was pretty incredible yeah no it's all, we're all con- our whole our whole body is connected our soul mind and spirit i mean if whenever one thing's weak it has a way of touching everything yeah and and one of the deals that trust me on this guys i know you do but the art of learning to cast down which I talk about in the book is really to me it means to hurl with a great force if we don't cast down imaginations and imaginations are images that can be formed in our mind uh, you know some people come up and and i've been able to help them when, when they say man things are shooting through my head that's not me so i look at them and say if it's not you and if it's not god where is it coming from well, it's coming from the devil well quit taking ownership of it that doesn't mean, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, I can't prevent a bird from landing on my head, but I can prevent him from building a nest in my hair. And if you don't pull down stuff, in a lot of things, the, the enemy, and I'm big on this, spiritual warfare is absolutely legit. And when the Bible even, there's a scripture that says, be not soon shaken in mind. I believe the enemy's tool right now. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that, but if he can attack the arena of the mind, and it gets in your emotions about all of a sudden you'll start thinking things that aren't true you'll fear things that don't exist uh, you will go you'll start getting off exit ramps off the interstate and i mean in your brain and going down dead in rows and there it goes it's going to tear down into your emotions and you know you got to open god's mail not the devil's mail you got to return to sender and, and when he sends those bad thoughts you got to not be a prisoner to the things that he sends your way if you don't it will lead to tremendous anxiety tremendous depression and he'll have you think and, and i write about this in the book you know i've quoted this all my life the devil's a liar we sing those little sunday school songs about the devil's a liar he's a liar and he's the father of them and uh, when he sends those lies and we believe them <clears throat> and we take ownership of them it's going to be a long day and i believe a lot of it's connected to the brain cast it down like you said it's tied emotionally so when we start feasting on things that aren't true I'm not going to make it. I'm going under. Um, this is going to be a terrible day. We're giving birth to that. And so I, I hope I've been able to help a lot of people to look at that and say that actually is a big deal. So, In the third or the fourth chapter of, of the book that you have, they're ridiculous, uh, you talk quite a bit about anxiety. Uh, we've talked a lot about impression, and we've, we've mentioned anxiety and how a lot of times they go hand in hand. Uh, but can you talk to us for a little bit about anxiety in particular, about the the importance of of ridding yourself of of the spirit of anxiety because it, it holds your life hostage. Yeah, and, and, and that was, you know, the deal with anxiety was this, uh, and, 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 and that's probably one of the biggest chapters in the books was, you know, you look at that and say, man, that can't be real, that can't be true. Why would people face something like that? And then you, st- I still think a lot of that's connected to what hits the brain, uh, what comes in from different forms, what comes in from different deals. And it just, when anxiety hit me, in the, in, especially when it gets into those sleepless nights and it gets into that stuff of walking around and pacing and your heart's racing and 
leads to panic and you're like what in god's name is happening to me you know a lot of that stuff is i can't understand how it's real until you face it we're talking about young people now and some people can ignore the stats but it don't change them and the facts are anxiety is pretty big right now it's huge i'm not one of these that my anxiety comes from a video game or my anxiety is not coming from the internet like it is young young people there is a lot of comparison on social media and people are facing anxiety because they're trying to uh, compare their trial to everybody else's highlight reels that are, they're seeing on the internet and that leads to anxiety. That's, that's really not me. The stuff I went through was just, my life was in such a tailspin that anxiety hit me and then those fears and worries. So I, I don't think it's a one size fits all deal and, and I'm trying to approach this question uh, in the right kind of way to, to answer it the best. but. Anxiety is just one of them things where it's it's um, it's no joke. It affects people in so many ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, the definition would be where you experience worry, unease, or nervousness. And that's the state of being full of, you know, a lot of mental distress. And those who experience it realize the angst that it, that it happens when it descends. Again, I've had so many people reach out to me in all of this. You know, if I look at the National Institute of Mental Health, the epic proportions that's happening with this. People get lightheaded, dizzy, they, they go through this and all that. And it's the number one mental health problem among women. And second, uh, now to, from alcohol and drug abuse to men. So we talked about men earlier. And of course it's affecting our, in our, in our teenagers. What I tell people is this, anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. And just because you had a bad day or facing trouble, you're not disqualified from God's anointing. Uh, a lot of people try to push their emotions aside and they think, again, that I'm less than, I'm, I'm this, that, and the other, and it, nothing could be totally from the truth. And the deal about anxiety that I like to tell people is that it's real and quit trying to ignore it. So I began, when I went through heavy, heaviness and anxiety, I started feeling and seeing the needs of others in a way I'd never experienced. And, and, and the old deal of hang in there, brother, and it's okay, sister, was soon replaced with you know greater feelings of compassion. I tell people there's a difference in sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is feelings of pity and sorrow for somebody else's pain, but empathy is when you come along and you share and understand. And so I'm not saying I'm super spiritual, but it's like I begin to feel the other people's anxiety and pain, what they walk through. Instead of just brushing that off, I, I, I begin to feel it, and people in great distress because anxiety suffers do not want another self-help book on breathing te no, techniques. No, I mean, breathe this, do this. And, and, I, and I know that they want to be understood, heard by somebody that's lived through it. And I like to tell people they like to know that somebody can relate to the feeling of diso disassociation or the fear uh, that sometimes, what's the matter with me? Am I going crazy? And you empathize with the irrational but intense fear of all kinds of things. You know, anxiety can come from a... You can have one terror of a thought, and you're thinking, that thought is so stupid, but it can start bringing on heart palpitations, anxiety, and I've learned that sufferers, they want real knowledge, real hope, real answers, and, and compassion. And anxiety starts pulling on your emotions. You get tired, you get frustrated, you get exhausted, your sleep gets taken. And, and one of the things I really mentioned in the second book, I think the chapter is on, on sweet sleep, is that rest is really underrated when you're going through different depression and anxiety. Battles and lack of it makes things terribly worse. So people say, you know, I'm, a men I'm mentally drained from anxiety. Uh, spiritually, I'm feeling numb or dead inside. And physically, 
I've learned this. People are wearing a smile and they're wearing a mask even to church, but they're depressed and they're anxious, and there comes the devil. And I think the question you ask, a lot of anxiety has a fear base to it. So what I like to tell people is this. Let's start. I don't care how far you need to go back. Start digging to and let's seeing if there's a root involved that has led to this. And what are you anxious about? What are you depressed about? What are you fearful about? What has led uh, to this? Again, I'm not a doctor or licensed therapist, but I can promise you um, anxiety can come from some crazy, irrational thoughts that works on your emotions. It can be stuff in the past. It can be from hurt. It can be from, believe it or not, assumptions. This is going to happen to me. Bad things going to happen to me. And a lot of it's tied to your imaginations and your emotions. But anxiety ain't no joke. I tell people it's real. Now you're seeing <laughs> how big a deal it is because there's books, shows, Don't messages. <laughs> everything is, is based on that. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. You said something about assumptions. And and I'll, I'll speak for me, obviously. But whenever I start thinking about things uh, that I, um, that are going to happen, one of the biggest encouragements that I remind myself whenever I'm afraid of something that's going to happen is telling myself that 90% of the time what I anticipate is going to happen never happens. Never, never and, happens. And that's been, been my experience is that I'll worry about, like I'll get a, like I'll get a text message being like, hey, uh, from our pastor, for instance, oh, and be like, like, hey, can you come see me this uh, Sunday morning? And I go start going through. I'm like, does he know about this? Does he know about this? Like, what about this? And like, I'm starting. What are those things? I'm starting. What to, are those things? I'm just saying. And I'm starting to plan answers and everything. And I, I start getting nervous. And then I walk in, and it's like, hey, um, I want to know, can you lead service this morning? And so I've come in trying to be like, well, uh, it yeah, ruins your weekend. It ruined my whole weekend thinking about it because I'm anticipating something that isn't going to be, or, or even, uh, there's so many different things. Fear, fear is anticipation of something bad happening and it can swirl around in your thoughts. I think that we give, it's irrational. I think we give the enemy and the devil way too much credit in this, in this situation or in this topic. I think that a lot of it is a battle of your mind. And it is has nothing to do with the devil or nothing to do with the enemy. But whenever you allow yourself to get to that place, it's just like an open door for the enemy to come in. And so I want to ask you, if you guys heard a door open a while ago, it's because pastor's wife just walked in. So you better be careful how you answer this next one. But it's the truth. I want the truth. So when your family, how, how did your family cope with the head of the house in a depression? Um... We can get her over here. Just kidding. <laughs> We've uh, already asked if she would. So if you, here's what you'll learn about me. I'm open and honest, and I'm pretty raw and real. So it it was, my wife is the toughest woman I know, one of the toughest people I know. That's not saying this because she's in the room. But it affected her hard and affected her different. And uh, she's she is not... she's not just wild out in the open like I am to tell you everything, maybe. I could see it in her. There's no way she could understand this like I wouldn't understand if it hit her. There's no way, especially the first <clears throat> shock and awe of it all. You know, this. I'm known to be funny. I'm known to be outgoing. I'm known to be this. But, you know, this took me for a loop. You know, uh, I never was one of these that uh, 
stayed in bed and pulled the blinds closed, but I had to personally dig myself out of bed every day. Coming to church was to study, to prepare was a tremendous chore. Uh, I preached through it all, whatever, but living at home in the family was very difficult on her because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. I'm more the life of the party here, but being down and out and in the mouth was tough. And um, I can't totally speak to her, but she's a, she's a, she's a pretty tough cookie. But it, it was hard because there was things I was, I was present at, but I was probably clocked out mentally at. And it was not because I wanted to be. It's just, I say this, when you're in deep, dark depression, you are not trying to make it through the day. You're trying to make, make it through the next minute. And when your mind is spinning and you're like, oh, my God, how am I going to get through this? It's, it's not like trying to live through the day. It's like trying to live through the next hour and the next moment. So it was tough on her. It, it just has to be because some people just want you to go back to who you are. I get that. You know, if, if one of you guys sliced your leg open today and I looked at you and said, I said stop bleeding right now, you'd look at me like I'm a fool. And sometimes in depression you just can't. You know, snap out of it. Anybody depressed or anxious would love to. <laughs> but sometimes it's a process. So that's the toughest part because I felt guilty. So part two of my question would be, you pastor a very successful large church, a beautiful campus as we've already talked about. Um, what, uh, what would you do or what did, how did you pastor? We took, you told us how your marriage was. How did you get up on Sunday mornings? We've talked a little bit about it, but I want to go into a little deeper depth to it. How could you get up on Sunday morning and go preach joy and uh, faithfulness and happiness whenever you feel like you have God's not faithful to you? Because I wouldn't be in this if he was. Well, if you don't mind me using this, I'm going to use the scripture. When the Apostle Paul said this, I actually believe, you know, we take all these Bible characters and, man, we got their posters on our wall, but we don't realize it's, our time to live some of that too, right? So they did this, they did that, what about us? Because the Bible said they without us won't be made perfect. The apostle Paul said there was given to me a thorn. Then he said a messenger of Satan. He said to buffet me. So I looked that up, that means harass and torment. Well, that ain't pleasant. I prayed and asked the Lord, you know the story three times to let this depart. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. My strength's made perfect in weakness. If, if you will notice the next verse, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, physical or mental weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's that got to do with your question? I felt more anointing, more victory, more. I actually look forward, and I've talked to other pastors that's faced this. I actually wanted to preach 10 hours because <laughs> the whole time I was in the pulpit, I was on. I was under such an anointing and a covering that I didn't want to leave that. Um, I, had sur I had times in my office when this first hit me, and uh, I was in my office one day, and one of our men in church walked in. I collapsed in his arms and tears bawling. He was like, what in the world's going on? And another man in our church walked in uh, and when this first hit me, because I, I didn't know what in God's name was happening. And, uh, but the moment I walked to the pulpit, Deliverance began to happen. People began to be set free. Holy Ghost baptisms, whatever. And uh, I preached faith, faith, faith to the church, but I also preached this. And I took a chance. Man, some people may walk out on me. That did not happen. They stood with me. We have a very good staff here. 
and uh, our assistant pastor, Pastor Denton here, is a tremendous, he's full-time, he's a tremendous man of God. He pulled a lot of the slack uh, when I couldn't pull it because I had to take advantage of the hours where I felt good and the hours when I didn't feel good. I was gritting my teeth or, or trying to push through it, but our church was great. I pushed through it. Uh, I'm not judging others. Sometimes I look back and think, man, I probably should have took a two-month sabbatical. Uh, now I look, now I know when pastors say I need a sabbatical, I don't look at them and say that's stupid. I'm like, go now. And if you got a church that understands ministry and understands order, they should want that. Mm-hmm. But I preached through it. I lived through it. I preached in and through, and as a result of my pain, and a lot of other people got delivered. Easy, no, but the grace was sufficient. I bet after you got done preaching, you were just emotionally drained, mentally drained. Emotionally and mentally drained, and also, I'm I'm, I'm not being fearful here, so don't take it that way. It was like, oh boy. It's coming. Here comes comes the back. And I have talked to other preachers. I've talked to evangelists about this, and they said the only piece I had was in the pulpit. And here's the deal. People start coming to you that have faced this, that are living it, because they're like, this man won't judge me because, my God, he's living it. He ain't got nothing to judge, which is true. And you start thinking, my God, my story sounds like theirs. I'm not saying the same exact stories, but, like, you just feel an incredible anointing. And my dad, my dad, you know, pastored 45 years. He had a car wreck when he was young, and the man in the car with my dad was killed. And my dad was in a cast for a year and two months. It crushed my dad's leg. And my dad, they had, him and my mom had five kids. He would preach in this church, go jump in an 18-wheeler, drive across the country and come back. And he would walk out of the pulpit, and, and my dad's the toughest man I know. He would cry so hard in pain from his leg that was smashed. But he said the whole time he preached, he never felt any pain. And then when the service was over, he'd be in tears from the pain of that leg. Such is the case mentally. When I got under that anointing, which if we don't preach that, we're in trouble. It destroys the yoke. Does that make sense? I was in the spirit of the Lord's day. And that's what got me through that. So you have two books. Do you recommend people read Victory the Midnight Hour after they read Ridiculous, or can they read either or? I I do. Anytime I... uh, Go. Here's the deal. When I go places, let, let, let's say this. I, I've, I've sold, gave, gave, gave away a lot of books online, word of mouth. But when I go preach places, and before I preach, I get permission from the pastor. I will say two or three lines out of that book, ridiculous. And I promise you, my wife can testify to that. I think people buy it because they think, uh-oh, I'm facing that. Uh, if we have time for a quick story, yeah. and I won't name the church, but they offered a time one Wednesday night. There were 600 people, and they said, "We want." I feel led for the sick to be prayed for. I have the elders come down. He said, there's a lot of hurt in this room, sickness, broken relationships, grief. He said, I'm going to get my ministerial staff down here. And the response was a, a trickle, and all of a sudden they started coming from the balcony, uh, people in wheelchairs, and the trickle became a, a torrent of people. The preacher said later, I was not prepared for the response. I was totally surprised by the magnitude. Another minister did not expect the vast response. He said at least two out of three in that massive prayer line asked for prayers for depression. He said, I thought we were praying more for physical needs, 
Many said, I'm depressed. I feel unworthy. I see no future. And then at the famous Minrith Meyer Clinic, in an average week, thousands of people visit th for therapy. 75% says Dr. Meyer will either have clinical depression, think about that, or some sort of anxiety disorder. So when I mention this book, they go to the lobby and buy it. Or if I feel it, I give some away. And I do recommend they start with Ridiculous first. It's kind of like getting the Holy Ghost or getting baptized. If you get the Holy Ghost first, it's okay. So if you read Victory at the Midnight Hour, it's okay first. But it's kind of a sequel. It's kind of a um, pushing to the other side, the victory the victory part. A lot of the highlights of the book. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Victory then. Uh, so Victory at the Midnight Hour, is, is, it's going to be a little bit shorter uh, uh, than, um, than the ridiculous book. It starts talking about uh, going back. <laughs> no, it gets into a lot of stuff like I told you earlier about believing is seeing uh, there's a chapter in there called twinkle twinkle little star there's a verse I discovered where it talks about creation it says oh he made the stars also gets into the magnitude of the stars and if God cares about each detail of the stars surely he cares about us it starts talking about he gives his beloved sleep um, I was at a church the other day in Arkansas and, and I was preaching and out of the blue, and this has ha all happened since I wrote books, or w w excuse me, walked through this trial. I'm preaching and I said, there's two people here. And the Lord just showed me things that were not in the notes and it was talking about panic attacks and here come some people to the altar and a man had been up that night before. I have no idea who that man was. He'd been up the night before pacing the floor. And I feel like the Lord's wanting me to, teach and preach to people you know he said when you lie down you shall not be afraid when you lie down your sleep shall be sweet that's in the bible thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day and david said when he lay down and rest notice the next part he said the next day i will not be afraid of like ten thousand enemies and i believe god wants us to be able i tell people this give your cares to the lord and go to bed he's god's going to be up all night anyway just give them to him. And we, we underestimate the value of rest. It talks about that. One of the chapters talks about as you go, one of my favorite chapters, the, the, the lepers that came to Jesus. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were cleansed. So years ago, well, excuse me, two years ago, I was really deep into my trial. Uh, we were out of town. I visited a church. I'd never been in this church. They had time of prayer. A woman came up to me. I have no idea who this woman was. She prayed for me. She turns back around and gives me a word and says, the next time it hits you, say, not so in Jesus' name. And she says, as you go, you will be healed. And it popped me. The ten lepers. Jesus didn't immediately heal them. He said, as you go. Uh, and the Bible says, it came to pass as they went. So my point is this. Despite your current pain, your current condition, sometimes, and I am not, I'm not stressing uh, people that's going through stuff that's not real. I'm, you're talking to a man that's been through it. But I had to keep going. And it's like as I went, the Lord started delivering me from it day by day. There's a scripture in the Bible. Two men prophesied this to me, and two, the two men didn't know each other, where it said the Lord's going to give you this little by little. Right? Sometimes, boom, we want the quick miracle. I do too. I've prayed for people. Y'all have too, where they got instantly healed. But sometimes it's like, keep going, keep reading, 
keep trusting. And as you go, you look up and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. Uh, I'm getting cleansed as I go, as I preach, as I live. And it, it talks about stuff like that. So you must really believe that rest is important. I know the first time that I, um, whenever we first introduced each other to each other on the phone, uh, I, I decided to go and YouTube you. And you can see the first thing that I, I watched was a sermon that you preached called Come and Rest. And I texted you back and I said, man, you're a dynamic preacher. We're going to have to come listen to you uh-huh. preach. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Well, that thing, preaching Arkansas, you weren't the yeah, so that's what I'm getting ready to segue into. Thanks for ruining that, Ryan. <laughs> but uh, something that I want you to talk about, I, I watched you as you preached uh, at Brother Gaddy's church, um, which we need to figure out this travel stuff because we could have went and visited him in Arkansas, but we're in the... (laughs) Anyway, but you preached something at Brother Gaddy's church that I watched on that Saturday night, the importance of the Holy Ghost and and, and tongues, and you used an example of shoes, and that resonated in my spirit, and I I texted you as soon as service was over. You were still on the platform texting me back, stop texting in church, but anyway, you texted me back and said you'd you'd consider it an honor to do that. I I know it's going to resonate with some of our listeners. I want you to talk about the importance of tongues and the importance of the Holy Ghost, and give us the example of your shoes. Okay, yeah. You know, uh, somebody texted me uh, from another church here in town a few weeks ago, and I took it as a compliment because that's what they meant. They said, man, you're an old-time preacher. I'm only 49. He, he said, you know what comes with that. And so I am just a firm believer. I use this. I've used this a lot where the angel came to the teenage virgin girl, Mary, and said, that which is conceived and used, you know, Jesus, he's going to be great, Emmanuel, God with us, all this great stuff he's going to do. And Mary, out of honesty, said, well, how shall this be, saying I know not a man? And the answer came back, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. You're not going to a Bible class for four years. The Holy Ghost. I preached that really strong. Like, my God, how am I going to get through this? The Holy Ghost. How can I make it? The Holy Ghost. I believe that adamantly. And so I tell people this. um, Speaking of the Holy Ghost, and that was Pentecost Sunday you're referring to. I said, it's like when I go buy a good pair of shoes, tongues comes with it. (laughs) And I tell people, when you get the Holy Ghost, Tongues comes with it. Joy comes with it. Peace comes with it. Uh, power comes with it. And then I use a little joke. Said any pair of shoes that don't have tongues, we call them loafers. Side joke, sorry. But I just believe that the Holy Ghost, uh, praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm a big believer in that. You know, getting out of this uh, written down, totally cute prayers that we pray. The Bible talks about in Romans, you know, the spirit takes over. Jude said the way to build yourself up. Well, anxiety and depression, you need to be built up. Well, is to pray in the Holy Ghost. You think that that is just a side joke, but it really resonated with me that without tongues and the Holy Ghost, you are just loafing through life as a Christian. I mean, there's no, there's no emotion connected to it. There's no relationship connected with it. Tongues to me is a relationship with God that I don't, I, I don't understand, you don't understand, but our spirits understand when we're connected with one another. And it, that resonated with me so much. I called my dad and I, he said, bro, <laughs> he said, I want you to, to message me that because that is so true. I would love to hear that and preach that to my people yeah. that we've almost forgot as a modern day church that we would rather look good than be good. Oh. 
we've forgotten what it's like to get back to being that old time preacher where tongues is essential. And bro, whenever I went through my little spout of depression, I couldn't tell you how long it, it was um, since I had spoken tongues. I was, I was still going to church. I was still on the platform every Sunday. I still smiled. I still shook hands when we were allowed to shake hands. But I, I went through that routine because I said, the only way I'm going to be better is if I act like it. Maybe one day the Holy Ghost is going to come and just take me over. And I was too dumb to understand that sometimes it takes a little bit more from me. God's, God's never left. God, And that's for people... Even if you're not dealing with depression, if you just feel like you're far from God right now, God's never left. God is exactly where you left Him. And one of my favorite things is, all I've learned this ever since I was just a kid, Brian. You've always heard your Sunday school teacher tell you, all you got to do is take that one step. And you know, that's, that's really, I, I remember going to the altar when my depression broke past your shoulders and I said, God, I can't. I don't want. I don't want to live like this. My wife deserves better. My little girl deserves a better father. And I remember just the peace of God coming over me. And it, and it really, it was, it was, it was a sermon that had nothing to do with what I was going through. But it's because I was at a place where I didn't care what other people thought. No, I didn't care what I looked like. I remember getting down in a little corner of our sanctuary. And I said, God, I've got to place this in your hands. And little did I know, I thought, I said it earlier to you, I don't remember if it was on or off the record. I said, God, I want you, I want you to take over this situation. Little did I know, God wasn't ignoring me. I was ignoring God. Yeah. And I refused to let him work in my life. Yeah, I had a, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I had a man call me. I told you about the, the, the guy that said, you're going to write a book. But another man called me right when this hit. He said, I'm in prayer for you. He knew nothing about this. <laughs> and this is not totally the call you want to get. He said, but the Lord showed me that he is about to strip you down, to remake you and rebuild you to what he wants you to be. Now, we know when you strip furniture and all that, that's not a 10-second deal, you know. And, but, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I took that to, okay. I've been in ministry all my life. I'm raised in Pentecost. Uh, whatever he wants to remake me and rebuild me to be, to learn, uh, to teach me, I'm, I've got to be pliable because once you get on that wheel, you can jump off, but you have to get back on until he's, the potter's finished with him. Sometimes it hurts. And it hurts getting back on when that wheel's spinning. <laughs> hurts bad, yeah. So... I, before we wrap down, I, our listeners doesn't know this, but me and Brian look like bums right now. Pastor Shoulders is dressed real nice. Uh, he's got a funeral to go preach. But before we wind down, we, we like to end uh, all of our podcasts with a couple of different segments. Um, I'm not going to give him the easy way out. Brian, you got something? Yeah, I do have something. Okay, but just so you can start thinking a little bit, we like our final two segments to be something that you're reading right now that you would recommend to our listeners. Uh, you could even say your books. <laughs> be shameless about it. And uh, the last thing we want to do is give you the last couple of minutes for some words of encouragement to our listeners or something that God's been laying on your heart, something like that. But before we do, Brian, what's on your heart? One of your best friends pastors in the same city you do, does he not? Yes, absolutely, my best friend in the world. What's that like? Um, because uh, you guys obviously have a beautiful relationship. How important it is it 
to have a good relationship with the other pastors in your city? Tremendous question. My dad was <clears throat> huge on fellowship, regardless of uh, card, independent. You know, it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And and I picked that up from dad. My dad's one of these a good names rather to be chosen than great riches. Dad had that. And um, we had a tremendous rapport, I feel, in this city that way. I have many friends preach for me. I preach for them, whatever. You know, I'm not intimidated, and they're not intimidated by any of that. Nathan Batson, my best friends, one of our church's favorite preachers. I've been over there this year and preached for him, revivals, whatever. It's just, you know, it's kingdom to me. And it's going to always be kingdom to me and not territory. I'm not one of these afraid of losing saints because they're not mine to lose. If people don't know where they're rooted and grounded, I can't help that. But if you live in fear of that and worry, then it, it, it blocks the greater picture of You're the, in it for the wrong reason. That, yeah. You know, if it's good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity, then why should we mess that up? We should be biblical. And, and if you know who you are, and it, that's the biggest deal is there's a lot of it insecure ministers that don't know who they are in Christ and they're afraid somebody's going to like somebody else better than they do them. Well, my, my biggest deal is if I bring somebody in here to preach, I want them to be able to carry some mail to bless our people, not, not so I can look good if they fall on their face. That's crazy. Uh, I, I'm always confident in what God wants me to do, and then I love others' ministry as well. Sure. So give us something that you're reading right now that you really that you've really been blessed by that you think some of our listeners will be? An apostolic pioneer is um, uh, Joey Haney. Many of you, you know, Joey Haney's wrote, good Lord, a million books. But yeah. uh, her husband, the late Kenneth Haney, died several years ago. Well, just a few years ago, she went through a deep, dark trial. Just it hit her with a sickness, and then the devil tried to work on her mind. And then, you know, reading stuff like that also encouraged me to think, you know, I'm not by myself, which I knew I wasn't. And she wrote a book called uh, He Has Brought Me Low So I Can Soar. And uh, kind of like going back to what I said about the preacher said God was going to strip me down, you know. It's kind of like God does that to Joy Haney, my Lord. Who can, and, and she talks about that. Yeah. She writes that book out of some deep, dark physical pain, which the devil then jumps on that bandwagon and whispers to her so i like that book by her he's brought me low i'm, I'm reading a starting a book now by ken Gurley on the book on prayer I, I'm, I'm a big believer right now that prayers prayers needed more than ever before as far as anxiety a book i recommend to people i i'm not going to say i looked up on it i think it was god sent it's a person i've never met named sarah ball and the book is called fearless in 21 mm -hmm. days she went through all of this and more, and she's, I have no idea who Sarah Ball is, but the book's very incredible. Uh, she's, she was at a conference one time, and a woman came up to her and said, you're about to minister to anxiety people, depression, panic attacks, OCD. She was like, cool. A few months later, she faced every bit of it and, and became so bad. It was incredible, family and kids. She got on the other side and was delivered, and now she she's got blogs and conferences again i don't know the woman but the book's pretty incredible because it's when you write out of pain you help people where do we get your books from ridiculous dot media 
ridiculous.media. You can get ridiculous book and victory at the midnight hour as well. Me and my dad wrote another book called Transitioning Well, talking about pastoral transition. But ridiculous.media is easy. It's one click. It pays for shipping and all, and they're mailed out that week. If our listeners want to reach out to you and kind of trust you through some issues they're having, can they find you on social media? Um. Yes. I don't even know my handle on social media. I can tell you how to spell his name. It's D-E-E-J-A-Y, Shoulders, because I look for D-J, Shoulders, forever and couldn't find it. Yeah, on, 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 on Twitter, it's it's at D-J Preach It. And now that's not D-E-E. It's just the letters D-J-P-R-E-A-C-H-I-T. That's on Twitter. Perfect. I don't do Facebook, but it's at D-J Preach It. Perfect. So... How we want to end is we want to give you the next few moments, anything that God may be laid on your heart, something that um, we might have missed. If you want to um, talk to a specific uh, topic, anything that we might have missed the next couple of minutes, yours, Pastor. Yeah, I would just like to say this. You know, I closed out ridiculous by, after all, writing about the pain. I, you know, the Bible talks about I'll give you favor and and when you shall go, and we're talking about deliverance, you shall not go empty-handed. And so I talk about don't go empty-handed. Don't waste that trial. If it's darkest before the dawn, uh, you know, sometime the closer you get to your deliverance, uh, I'm not being negative, but the closer sometime you get to your breakthrough, the more hell will come against you because you're getting close. Uh, one man said, an increase of demonic activity against you is a sign that Satan's discovered your purpose and you're about to walk in the greatest season of your life. I believe that. Right towards the end, and when you start getting to that other side, don't come out empty-handed. Soak it up. Write it down. Get a journal. Take everything that God's doing in you. It's like Jesus told Peter. Peter, you're going to go through this. Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Peter's like, no, 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 no. Jesus said, it's going to happen, but I prayed for you. That's an encouragement to me that Jesus is, that Satan has a hit list. Jesus has a prayer list. When you come out of that, he told Peter, strengthen the brethren. And that's what I'm doing. I refuse to waste this trial. While we're sitting here, guys, you, I just showed you my phone, right? Somebody's texting me. I need help. I'm depressed. I need deliverance. And uh, my phone, email, and Twitter and stuff's open to that. I refuse to, to not use this as a redemption story. It would be terrible to waste the torment that I've been through not to help others. And so I believe... Not everybody goes through this. There's people that's got testimonies. I don't know. I've never been delivered from drugs. Somebody has. Alcohol, somebody has. I've never been through marriage problems to see great victory. Somebody has. Well, my testimony is anxiety, fear, depression, and I will not waste it. Don't come out empty-handed. Bring something with you. Uh, when David went down to Ziklag after they'd kidnapped and burned everything, what did he do? He recovered all. He went after it. And, and that's what we got to do is, is to believe that this is not a waste, that God's going to use this. So if he's not bringing you out, he's going to redeem it for a greater story. David said, I encouraged myself in the Lord when he was down. When you're torn down, as we made mention of, there's a way to build yourself up. In Corinthians chapter number 14, it says, He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifieth himself. It's what Paul described in Titus chapter number 3, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And when, when you're at life's lowest, you don't have to be alone because you can have the Spirit of the God who created all things 
within you, renewing himself in you and renewing you in him. This has been The Crucial Conversation. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to The Crucial Conversation Podcast. Podcast.